Recording live from the Northeast Georgia Business Radio X studio. This is Northeast Georgia Business Radio. Welcome back. Welcome back, folks, to another exciting edition of Northeast Georgia Business Radio. I'm your host, Tom Sheldon. And yeah, we're coming to you live from the beautiful Empower College and Career Center of Jackson County. I have with me a guest today. I've known this guy for several years. I guess we're buddies, though I think sometimes we're like brothers. Because, I don't know, there's times when we just want to push each other down the stairs. But that's what brothers do, right? Or cousins. Oh, and see, and see, just like a brother, he just jumps right in there before I introduce him. Should have cut his mic off. Ladies and gentlemen, my good friend, and yes, I have friends, I don't have many, from Infinity Wealth Management Group, Mr. Stephen Julian. Stephen, welcome to the Northeast Studio. Thank you so much for having me, Tom. I was halfway expecting pumped-in crowd noise. You I mean, know, that was a I, Michael I Buffer-ish introduction. Well, and see, why do you want to ruin the the intro on childish? Yeah, well, because I'm effects. childish. I mean, that's, well, uh, but yeah, you're not running the board. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you started. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna make sure my sons listen to this episode because you started and you didn't know it with a great current topical wrestling reference. And I oh, I it. did know it. Which one? Yeah, yeah. You are an L.A. Knight L- fan. L. A night. Yeah. yeah. So you are not a dummy. Yeah. That's on purpose. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Man. See, just, and this is why I love hanging out with you, Tom, is every time I you get together, that, you know I this find is being something recorded. else. I know. You know this is being recorded. I know. Okay. There's something else that just, yep, Tom and I can talk about that. Yep, Tom I and can I can. I can hang, brother. That's right. I, and listen, I have no game. So the fact that you let me in with, you know, your game of, you know, L.A. night. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Well. Thank you for that. You're welcome. That was special. Yes, Stephen, you know this about me. I knew who Gordon Soley was before I knew who the President of the United <laughs> States was, which was Jimmy Carter back in the day. Yes, absolutely. I knew who Gordon Soley was. So if I said the Graham family, you'd know that. You know, yes. Mike Graham and, yeah, they're, absolutely. They were down in Florida. They were, yeah. They were down in Florida. Absolutely. Or they ran the whole territory. Or Tommy Wildfire Rich. Uh, he, at, I tell you, circa 1982-ish, maybe before that, he was my favorite wrestler. Did you go to the from Omni- Riverdale, Georgia? Did you go to the Omni show with I, the Skywalker I match never, of I the Road did. Warriors again? I was. We I did, had friends we at not. church that went, and I couldn't go. And yeah, I, yeah. No, we 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 did not go to Atlanta. My okay. father would not take us to Atlanta. <laughs> you went to the Armory when they would come. Yes. Through? Oh yes. Oh yeah, saw the Rock and Roll Express in there. Lawrenceville. You go, there you go. Yeah, Ricky. Uh, wait, uh, Ricky Morton, Robert and Gibson, Robert Gibson. Absolutely. Before they went to well, finish but, their career at Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Well, yeah, and yeah, and Robert just gave in to the demons. But yeah, wow, that's a whole different podcast, <laughs> folks. Starting next week will be the uh, the podcast of the Legends of Wrestling podcast. Legends of Wrestling with Tom, Tom and, and Stephen. And Stephen. I think we found our next show that that I'm going to do at the Business Radio X Studio. I can so do that. Yeah. I like that. All right, so what are we talking about, man? You're here. You are a You fine... introduced me, and I talked over it's you, okay. just like well, I did right there. Well, you know, there. my wife is somewhere dying laughing, because she, she, I think she actually said this morning before she left, it's going to go off the rails as soon as you start. <laughs> now, was she saying that about you or about me or about both, both of us? Yeah. Both. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, you know, full disclosure, it's usually not a good idea to leave us alone for a long period of time. 
and absolutely zero alcohol has been involved. In no, I have not. Dr- I drink. I drink water. We had lunch. Yeah. So we've been together for like the last two hours, <laughs> and we haven't run out of stuff. So what do you want to talk about? Well, Cody. Yeah. We do need to get down to business, I guess. Oh, we do. You're a financial advisor. Other than a massive... Well, now, wait a minute. Now, you're a massive wrestling fan. Apparently, I am too, right? Yes. You're also a giant baseball fan. I was going to bring up the fact you were a baseball fan. Yes. A huge baseball fan. You've been to like every stadium. Almost. Major League... Almost. (laughs) Almost. Every Major League stadium. Yeah. And many that don't exist anymore. So... I grew up, I was the youngest of four kids for a couple years while my mom and dad were both teaching and my siblings were going to school. I spent the school year living with my grandparents. I would go home for dinner a couple of nights with them uh, so that I could see my family and I'd spent weekends, but I was living with my grandparents and I grew up watching a lot of Lawrence Welk, watching Name That Tune, watching Wheel of Fortune, but I also grew up, importantly, watching the Braves on WTBS and hearing stories of how Ted Williams was the greatest hitter who ever lived and lost five years to two wars, that Jackie Jensen was the most overrated 30 home run hitter. Bobby Doerr was the most underrated player in the history of baseball. So I grew up hearing about the Red Sox. My grandparents had met in New Bedford, Massachusetts, and my mom was born in Worcester. And so I grew up loving what my grandparents watched and listening to their stories and became a huge baseball fan. Now, my brothers liked baseball, but nobody liked it as much as me in my family. And I was kind of known as that slight annoying kid who would tell you stats, who knew different stats. Before there was Google. Well, we had baseball cards. You had baseball cards, and you mm-hmm. read the back of them, and you noticed. You memorized them. You did, and noticed oh, yeah. where they were from. You knew where all the little league, the minor league towns were because they were on the back of baseball cards. Mm-hmm. And watching This Week in Baseball with Mel Allen. and Twib and, notes, yeah, baby. Yeah, there you go. And wow. so, so wow. Uh, when I went on my first date with my, who would become my wife, and I was working, I was at Tech, and I was working at the stadium, as an usher with my best friend from high school who was the other big massive baseball fan this is in 91 when the when the Braves are winning the World Series she said and actually we dated next year sorry in 92 when I'm working there she said you work at the stadium I am so jealous I love baseball and I'm like I'm going to marry this woman wow and she turned out to be a saint yes that's she's that's put clearly up with you for 30 years we decided about 12 years ago, we had some issues where we weren't, as a family, able to go to a typical vacation spot, and that's another story. So we said, hey, let's go to let's go try to visit a baseball stadium. So we went to Chicago, did the White Sox and Cubs. On the way home, stopped at Indianapolis to see the Indians. Uh, she was working for the Gwinnett Braves at the time. Our kids had kind of liked going to baseball games, and at the end of that trip, we were like, well, what would you guys think? They are like, where are we going next year? Right. So They're for ready. a decade, we basically went. Nice. We've gone to 22 at this point, and we eventually, I've been to 24, I think, and so we're going to eventually get to all 30. Is there 30 teams now? Yeah. I am a closet baseball fan. Um, I, it's great. I don't mean to cheapen it. It's great, quote unquote, background noise mm. during the summer because you can have it on. You can miss two or three innings and you don't really miss right. a whole lot. Right. And then they're, they're always having the highlights, blah, blah, blah. I follow it on Twitter. It's great background noise. So it's like it's always on, whether you're watching it or not. Yeah. Baseball is the most relational sport because it's the only sport that plays every day. True. Okay, during the season. True. And it is great for – I turn it on, I'm doing other things. Exactly. And then I can come back and check in. It's also the best sport to be with someone and you're just having an ongoing conversation 
while watching or going, oh, did you see that? Better oh, than wrestling? It. Yes. Wow. Um, wrestling is the most interactive. By far. So it's relational and interactive where the crowd can steer what's going on. Baseball. Oh, yeah. At baseball is actually, I, yeah, I have this big theory that it is, it's the most relational sport. And people who don't get it aren't building relationships while watching it. Who's your favorite player of all time? Baseball? Yeah. So my favorite player growing up. Okay. Was Bob Horner. Really? Yes. Okay. His swing is one of the most unique in the history of the game. Plus, I don't know if you – I've always been slightly chubby. And Bob Horner was not chubby. He was thick. He was not a gym rat. Yes. He was not a gym rat. He also is one of the rare people who never spent a day in the minor leagues. Right. He was drafted. He showed up. He was drafted. And the next week, he was with the team, and he ended up winning the Rookie of the Year, only playing half the year. He's a fascinating person. He was my favorite player growing up. I would have to say my favorite player of all time – there's just so many different styles and types, but but it was probably yeah. I guess it's still Bob Horner. The other one I grew up. I was a big fan of Dwight Evans for the Red Sox. Um, oh yeah. It's yeah. hard to argue against Pedro or David Ortiz. David Ortiz is the most clutch. He has more clutch hits than anybody. I mean, he does his big hits. He does. So those are some of my favorite. Players. I'm with you. May I share? Yeah. I'm a novice when it comes to baseball compared to you. Yeah. As a child. Of course, Dale Murphy. See, and that's the other reason I liked Horner. Yeah, everybody no. else liked Everyone Murphy. else liked, well, you got a, a six-year-old, seven, eight, eight, maybe, eight-year-old Tommy. Oh, and I hate that name. That's, no, like, that's, that's like, what I'm going to call you now. That's like calling you Steve. <laughs> yes. I know better. Okay, good. Then yeah. We uh-huh, agree. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. You got no, a Tom. No. Yes. Uh, Dale Murphy captured my imagination. Mm-hmm. He and Mike Schmidt. Mm-hmm. Jim Rice, though you very, very seldom saw him because he was in the American League. Mm-hmm. Those guys were larger than life. I'll tell you one, yeah, right. I'll tell you one recently. My my sons and I, my oldest son played a lot of baseball and I coached him some. And we used to talk about, uh, one of the things we've said is, who would you pay money to watch either pitch or have an at bat, right? So watching someone hit, we fell in, my, my oldest son and I fell in love with Nick Markakis. He is the quietest person on the face of the earth. Yeah. He never changes his emotion, but we used to always say Nick Markakis needs to have a business card that just says Nick Markakis, professional hitter, because yeah. here are the yeah. Braves, they're down. He was during the, the dry period of the Braves, but yeah. grinding out at bat after at bat after at bat oh, yeah. to either rope one down the line for a double or dump one the other way for a single because he goes with the pitch or draw a walk after a nine pitch at bat. Nick Markakis was just an absolute joy to watch hit. Mm-hmm. We kind of feel that way. I mean, Ronald is so much fun to watch now, and we felt that way this year. Well, anyway, I, that's I'll stop. And then our hearts were broke in October. Yeah, don't start with You can edit that part out, please. Yeah, I'll, I'll edit yeah. that part out because everyone listening knows it's true. As an adult, Tom Sheldon, Tom Glavin. Yeah, never yeah. gives in. Yeah. Yeah. Consummate professional. I told my kids, John Smoltz was the guy that if you have to win one game. Give the ball to Smoltz. I, I want John Smoltz or Kurt Schilling on the mound. Yeah. Yeah. Well, John Smoltz would be steroid-free, but that was, Schilling that was a, never took that, that was a shot. I'm I don't sorry. know if Schilling took steroids. No, no, he never did. No, 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 no. He spoke his faith too much, but that's another well, shot. Well, that's possible too. But fun fact with Tom Glavin, before he got finally released by the Braves, when he came back, I saw him pitch in Gwinnett. Mm-hmm. And I believe it, that was not his last start. He actually pitched in Rome mm. one more time before they said, yeah, it, it, yeah, we're not bringing you back. Yeah, that's an interesting story, too, because they brought him back, and he thought for sure he was going to make the Major League oh, Club. Yeah. And then they said, yeah, no, we're not doing it. But I remember he was carving them up in yeah. Gwinnett. Yeah. Four innings he pitched. 
the ball never left the infield. Yeah. He was fun to – I mean, that – of course, everybody, Smoltz, Glavin, Maddox. I mean, that oh, was yeah. three different ways of doing things, all three at the top of their game. So now how is – and I know you've done it because I know you too well. You're a big baseball guy. How have you taken baseball and related related it to investing money and being an investor? Yeah. I know you've made the correlation. I know you too well. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I actually just recently kind of spent some time in thinking about this and started to verbalize it with some clients that I see the game of baseball in investing. And so if you think of your investments, if you think of your financial plan, the way an owner would look at owning a baseball team, then you kind of have to decide how am I going to interact with the team? How am I going to interact with that plan? A good financial advisor, I think, tries to show their clients how they're going to interact with their plan, how they're going to interact with their investments. And I think there's three basic things, and you need to decide what type of investor you are. You know, Tom, so often in my industry, people will talk about, well, I took this risk profile questionnaire, or I took this thing that tells me what type of investor I am, and it gives me a score. I got some kind of score. I got some kind of number. I've been trying to tell them to look at it as a picture of what, who you are when it comes to your team. So are you the general manager where you are standing above your investments? You're there. You're certainly involved, but you're kind of involved from the office. You're not necessarily down on the field. You're, you're not necessarily doing day-to-day. You're more big picture. You're kind of keeping tabs with what's going on and making big decisions. We're always, all of these roles have big decisions, but you're more sitting in the office and like, hey, I, I'm going to leave the day-to-day up to someone else and just keep me informed of what's happening and I'll step in as needed. Or are you more of the on-the-field manager? The on-the-field manager, if that's going to be your role with your investments, you might be doing some more day-to-day stuff. You might be shifting things a little more. You might be changing the lineup day in and day out. You might be making decisions on a series-by-series basis, if you will, rather than just over an entire season. And then third, and this is where I think my industry especially has really stepped away and not doing this as much with clients, is you might be the type of investor that you want to get in the batter's box and take a few swings. You might want to try to hit a home run. You might want to try to affect the game by making individual investment decisions. And in that case, I'm talking about buying an individual stock or buying a particular company or a particular sector and trying to beat the averages, trying to beat the shift, whatever other baseball phrase you want to throw in there. So I, I try to tell my clients, and by the way, you don't have to make the decision to be just one. Just recognize how are you interacting? How have you been interacting? Well, I've just been a general manager. And I'm not very happy. Maybe you need to get a little more involved on the field. Take some swings. Yeah. Or maybe you're like, I've only been in the bad box swinging and I've yeah. lost focus of the entire big picture. Yeah. So I try to help people kind of recognize what they are and how I help in those three different uh, roles. So are risk profiles and, and the, the goal questionnaires, are they not just they just not that important anymore? No, no. Now, I'm certainly not going to say that because well, okay, if I did, I, I'd I have probably, to throw I a phrased, disclaimer at the I, end. I phrased <laughs> that the wrong way, yeah. but... You're telling me that it's just a number, more or less. It's not just about the number. I Okay, here, this is my opinion and my opinion only. The opinion it's of the guest is not. Maybe. I think my industry has done a very good job of really helping people try to get a better grasp of their picture. And I think in the process, at times, unintentionally, we have confused the stew out of people. Yeah, I can see that. 
And so, okay, I got this, yeah. I got this test. What does this mean? I got this number. What does this mean? Because I think what I don't want to do is have my clients feel like, well, I can't do anything. So I have to give everything over to Steven. Yeah. That's wrong. I don't agree with that at all. I agree with you not agreeing with that. Because, like, yeah. <laughs> amen. Something Be- like that. Because I want, if people who work with me over time, I want them to feel more confident about what we're doing and why we're doing it, what they have and why they have it. And not that they have to come up with the ideas, but I want to have an ongoing conversation with them about what's happening in the market and what's happening in their portfolios and how we adjust those things. And I think at times my industry overemphasizes just forget about it it'll be fine we got by the way you t- if you're taking that questionnaire and that you're getting that profile score then they go because of that we're going to do all of this and they don't explain it at all or you can't question it right then that's a problem I in agree. my in my opinion but now there are some people that don't want the details and guess yeah. what guess who I, they I, are they're general managers, and okay. that's fun. And that's hey, what they want to hey, be. Hey, don't bother me with the details. I'm happy. I, I trust you. I like what you're doing. Right. Just keep me informed, yeah. right? They're happy with that. That's fine, and that's okay. I think my industry at times wants everyone to be that way, and that's I just I don't see that. Are you suggesting that advisors might make a mistake? or If you are working – okay, so here's another Stephen Julian personal opinion. Nice. I like it. If you're working – if you're currently working with a financial advisor who will not admit a mistake – you need to find another advisor. I work in a discipline that if I'm right half the time, I'm one of the smartest people in the entire industry. Mm-hmm. What does being wrong mean? Being wrong, see, sometimes we think being wrong, oh, well, that means I lost all my money. So being wrong is I might have gotten you in a little early or I might have picked the wrong company or we may have picked the wrong strategy at this particular time. You need to have, so any advisor that's worth their salt, and by the way, let me officially state, there are a ton of wonderful oh, advisors who do great work. Right. We need to acknowledge, ooh, we got to adjust that. Well, why do you make that adjustment? Either the situation has changed or we've done really well and I don't think we're going to be able to keep up at this pace or, hey, that was the wrong call. We need to change that. And I tell my, one of the, the way I phrase it to my clients is I'm an advisor who's willing to stick my neck out there, tell you what I think, and also try to acknowledge when I'm wrong. Now, sometimes I'll go, this hasn't worked out. I'd like us to stay with it because of this, 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 and this. And I'll jokingly, but seriously tell my clients. But after I said all that, the results are such that you might go, well, forget it. I want to dump it. Okay, great. I'm, I'm on, no, I have nothing to stand on at this point. So other than ask you for patience. So yeah, we can look for another thing if you want to, or change the strategy with this part of the portfolio. You're not suggesting an investor would make a mistake. My clients have never made a mistake. Of course. He's a smart man. He's got one at the table with him. <laughs> smart man. I had a client say this to me very early on in my career, well over a decade ago. And I've told him that I quote this all the time. We made an investment. It didn't work out. And I came back and I said, man, you know, we got to change this. I, I blew it. This was wrong. And I said, I'm sorry. And he goes, don't ever apologize. He said, Stephen, you and I had a conversation. We made a decision based on the information we had in front of us. The information changed and we're now changing. So that's all I can ask you to do. If I expected you to be right every time, I said, well, I wouldn't have any clients. I'd only invest my own money and always win and be a trillionaire at this point. So now, see, that's the Stephen Julian I want to get to know, the trillionaire. Uh, that's not, that doesn't exist because I'm not right all the time. Oh, okay. Okay. 
That makes sense. Boy, this is a great business conversation where I'm admitting I make mistakes. Yeah, he's a financial advisor. <laughs> he makes Why mistakes. Why would anyone work with me? At least 50% so, of the uh, time. It, let me put it this way, Tom. Yes. Anybody, You're a very humble financial advisor. Anybody listening to this, if you've worked with an advisor, I always joke about it. All the financial products, they all they have the they have the glossy, slightly out of focus pictures. It's always in the mountains, it's at the beach, it's on oh, a yeah. boat. It's all this stuff, right? And mm-hmm. and it's all designed to make you go Seinfeld had a bit about when you're drinking a soda and he goes, you ever see the commercials for these sodas? You know, soda, soda, we have soda. Everybody's jumping around the pool. And he goes, you ever been drinking that soda while it comes on, the commercial comes on? You're like, maybe I'm putting too much ice in mine. I don't have that experience at all. (laughs) So in these pictures, we're like, look at all these glossy pictures. Well, where's my boat? Where's my mountain cabin? (laughs) I think we try to paint this picture of everything's going to be okay. And in reality, Tom, what I try to tell my clients is it's actually a spiritual principle, if you will. I don't know where anybody's line of faith is, but I but we don't own our stuff because we can't take any of it with us. Right. We're stewards of what we're given or what we That's true. What we work for. And so it's a tool. You can use a tool to build up or you can use a tool to destroy, but you can't take the tool with you and the tool, our money and our investments, what are you building with your investments? And if you only focus on the glossy photos, that's not going to make you happy anyway, and you're probably not going to get there. So instead, let's do the best we can with what we have and be willing to adjust as we go. Nicely said, sir. Thank you. I actually believed you. Are you suggesting that most of the things I say you don't believe? (laughs) I always believe you. You're one of the few people I trust with my money. I think I almost believed you believing me. <laughs> now that that would be a first. <laughs> that would definitely be a first. Before we get out of here, I do want to touch on something, and, and this could be very short, something you didn't think we would talk about, but you have a passion more or less for teaching. Yes. Not a lot of people know that about you. Why is that? I don't know. You don't tell them. You ask yourself well, that question. I, I think, um, so when I look at what I do, there's two things that I believe very strongly about what I've been blessed and allowed to do in, in this career. One is I believe a financial advisory position is a service position first and foremost. Sure. You are there to serve the client and the customer. And serve is a very, very strong word to me, and that is... I'm going to do everything I can to help. I'm going to do everything I can to make their scenario better. I'm going to do everything I can to help them achieve their goals. But I look at what I'm doing as service. I think that comes through and think if you're, so I'll say, if you're working with a financial advisor, they work for you. They should be. I tell clients all the time, I'm constantly on a job interview. And if you're not happy, it is so easy to change advisors. And so I have to always be earning the position of helping you with your investments, helping you with your financial plan. And if I'm not serving, if you're not being served by your advisor, what are you paying for? That's number one. But to your point, the second thing I believe that I have been called to do and that I believe I've been given the opportunity to do and one way I can serve is to teach people while I'm serving them and while I'm managing their assets. And that's to whether it's teaching maybe how to laugh a little bit more, although I think I'm I, I hope I'm making people laugh, but I, I'm sure I'm just obnoxious and slightly annoying. 
trying to teach them about how investments work, trying to teach them about what they have and, and what's behind it. I, I, I can't tell you how many people, when I first meet them, they tell me things about their investments that I'm like, no one has taught you anything. And it's not, I'm not blaming the school system, although we should talk more about finance in school. I'll give you a great example. I talked to somebody and I said, well, I'll look over your 401k, I'll give you a second opinion. And they brought me their 401k statement. And they said, well, I'm not in the stock market. And I'm like, yes, you are. And they're like, no, no, I'm not in the stock market. And I said, well, okay, well, tell me what you're in. And they were like, well, I, the, the guy who sold it to me said that I won't be in the stock market. I'm like, well, it says S&P 500 right here. I said, I know that market, symbol. I yeah. said, that is 100% equity. And, and what it was, Those are equities, folks. what it was, was he was in something that if the market had certain amount of loss, he would be optioned out of it, or he would be, he would not show the entire loss in the market, but he also was capped on the upside. So to try and explain that to him. And, and the other thing was he was an annuity. Was that, that a good idea? For the right, listen, Every investment well, is a good idea for at least someone. For the right, yeah. Here's the point, Tom. It's a bad idea if they don't understand well, what they're in idea, right. or why they're in it. So I can't. I, when first, when fixed index annuities first came out, everybody was like, "I'm in the I'm in the market without any risk." And I'm like, "Yes," and you're also capped to the upside. Right. So if the market's up 15 percent, you get a cap of seven. What happens to that other eight percent? That's the, and they would go, I'm not paying any fees. I'm like, well, that's the fee. You missed the upside. That's a big fee. Now, the debt, but you're paying that fee so you get no downside in this particular case. And I'm not, I am not advertising for any product. Oh boy, I said I wasn't going to need a disclaimer. I probably do for that. We can disclaimer all day long. But the point is, the point is, I'm I'm just rambling. You got me preaching now. I know. That was the idea. The point is to help people understand why they, what they have and why they have it. And I think that goes through teaching. I'm the son of two teachers. Teachers. Uh, my mom taught sixth grade for over 30 years. My dad taught music. Bless her for that. Um, and oh, she loved that sixth age. Sixth grade, that is an age. She loved that age. And and she wow. f- she found that she was specially suited tough, for tough it. Tough woman. Yes, she was. She was tough but fair. That's what all her students said. There's just an opportunity to kind of, uh, there's nothing better than seeing a light bulb go off. There's nothing better than, than seeing people go, oh, I get it. I get it. Or my favorite is after I've worked with clients for a little while, I'll call them when the markets are down and they're like, I knew you'd be calling because you've talked about what we're going to do when this happens. Mm-hmm. They were like, what are we buying? You know, and then I call him when the things are going good. And he goes, I knew you were going to call me when things are going well, because you want to take a little bit off the table. So there's some of those scenarios where I'm just trying to teach the clients. Here's how we're going to try to do better than the market or try to participate with less downside or whatever the strategy is that we're going for. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is called passion. I think you just summed it up. No, thank you very much. I you called that. it preaching. I called it passion. Ooh. I used to... Uh, it's okay. A long time ago when I coached junior high basketball, I used to tell people, I used to tell my players, I'm not yelling because I'm mad. I'm yelling because I'm passionate. Absolutely. <laughs> I, they didn't buy it, but well, I, that's okay. I did say that. They were teenagers. Yeah. yeah. You know, they were you sixth know. graders. Is there a website? There is. Our website, I am part of a small group of advisors uh, with Infinity Wealth Management Group, infinitywmg.com, infinitywmg.com. My email is steven, S-T-E-V-E-N, at infinitywmg.com. And as any good advisor should, I will also be willing to give my cell number if anyone wants to have a call. Here's what I offer people. I say this, 90% of the people who become my clients, it starts with a question. They don't want to hear a pitch. 
They don't want to hear, they don't want to look at a glossy, out of slightly out of focus photo of a boat or a mountain. They say, hey, I got a question about my stuff, or I got a question about this old 401k, or I've, I've got my, my mom or dad has this and I need to ask some questions. Ask me any questions. Let me be a resource for you first and foremost before you ever become my client. And the resource is free. But my cell number is 678 499 6933. So give me a call and I'd be happy to have a conversation with you. Whether you become a client or not, of course I would love that, but there's no pressure to. You can always talk wrestling and baseball. You can definitely talk wrestling, baseball. And if you can stump my youngest son with any wrestling trivia question, I will give you $5. Five whole dollars. Yeah. He is amazing. Smart kid. Yes. Gets that from his mama, right? Yes. Okay. Sorry. Stephen Julian, ladies and gentlemen. Stephen, thank you for coming in. Tom, thank you so much for having me. We have been friends for quite a while. And uh, we do often butt heads as brothers once in a while. I guess we get through it, right? We do. The thing I've always appreciated about you is there's no BS. No, there's not. (laughs) And uh, I always appreciate people with dry senses of humor. Super dry. And so when we first met at a networking event, I went, ooh, this guy, he is as dry as a martini. Yes, I am. So thank you for that. You're very welcome. Pure skill, baby. Pure skill. They're going to play my music. Oh, there it is. Stephen Julian, Stephen, thank you for coming in. You're awesome, man. You know it. Folks, infinitywmg.com, Infinity Wealth Management Group. Check them out. I'm Tom Sheldon. We'll talk to you soon. But to be the man, you got to beat the man. And I'm saying, woo, right here.